This is KDLL, 91.9 FM, Kenai, Soldatna, listener-supported public radio for the central Kenai Peninsula. You're tuned in to the Kenai Conversation. I'm Hunter Morrison. On this week's Kenai Conversation, we're joined by traditional Irish musicians John Walsh, Pat Broders, and Andrew O'Brien. Members of the performing trio Miles from Dublin, the group spoke of their early lives, musical careers, and connections to Alaska. The group will be performing at Kenai Peninsula College this Friday at 6.30 p.m. I'm John Walsh. I play tenor banjo and mandolin and occasionally sing. Uh, I'm Andrew O'Brien, and I play fiddle. I'm Bono. (laughs) No, I'm Pat Broders, and I play bazooki and sing. And, you know, I guess I'll I'll start with you, um, Andrew. You know, what first got you interested in playing music? Well, I grew up in Dublin, so that's where my home was. Uh, I'm one of five boys. I came in number four. And my dad, growing up, he was an accordion player, like a two-button. Yes, it's a style of accordion that's played in Irish music. So it's something that was important to him. He grew up playing music, and he saw value in that, and... So as we were growing up as kids, we all got introduced to Irish music as a, a thing to do and participate in. And by the time I came around number four, the instrument that was given to me was a fiddle. So I was about seven or eight years old when I got given the fiddle. And since the three brothers who were older than me were already playing, and I thought it looked like they were having good times. They got to have fun, do fun things, go fun places. It didn't take a lot to incentivize me to just want to play this fiddle so I could tag along. That's how I got involved. John, same question. What got you interested in playing music? Um, there wasn't a lot of music played in my house, but I had aunts and uncles that played music and a, and a grandmother that played music. But um, the, my main influence would be uh, listen to two players, Mick Maloney and Barney McKenna, but particularly Barney McKenna. Um, he's a great banjo player that kind of is considered the the father of Irish banjo, really, because he he, uh, he influenced an awful lot of players. But he, he would go to the Pipers Club and learn how to play Irish music on a banjo. And uh, a lot of people kind of learn from him indirectly. And, and Pat, same question to you. What first got you interested in music? Uh, my father played. And, I, you know, some relatives played. So <clears throat> uh, there was music in the house. So similar, little similar to Andrew. Andrew had more of a connection with Naya, but I still had a, a big connection with it. And uh, yeah, just from people coming to the house, playing, and then listening, and just getting involved, and getting my first instrument, and going from there. And I'll throw this question to you first, Pat. Um, who are some of your musical inspirations? Well, uh, the first person I ever heard play uh, I played the Elam Pipes as well, and the first person I ever heard play was a man called Tommy Reck. Uh, he used to come to our house. He's a very, very well-known, respected Elam Piper, um, or he was. Uh, so he would have been my first. That sort of carried on for a good few years through my, like, from a, when I was about seven or eight through, like, 15 or 16. I would regularly meet Tommy because he'd come to the house, or we'd meet at some uh, music festivals or something like that. And then, you know, I got into, um, you, you sort of go looking then for, for other uh, 
sources. So uh, Liam O'Flynn, band called Planksty, who's in, and that that would lead you on to other things. And before that, even Planksty came along, there would have been uh, Sean O'Reilly and Chieftains. That's how they came out, and then it went on from there. So I, I could reel off a whole list of names, but that that's pretty much the, the way it started. And Andrew, same question to you. Who are some of your musical inspirations? Yeah, well, I know at, at least as a kid, I didn't, I didn't seek inspiration. I wasn't getting it. I was just, you know, the only motivation I had, I think, was just to be having fun and doing something, which I learned is the secret of music is it's just another place where if you're enjoying playing it, that will keep you involved. That's the inspiration in itself. But as I got a little more, I suppose, older and more started realize I'm actually playing an art form or I'm playing my instrument, then I started kind of to see who, like in my mind, who who did I like listening to more. And at the time in the 70s, bands, Irish groups were big. And Dave Donnan was a band and they had a, their lead fiddle player was a man called Frankie Gavin. And he, at least to me, what he was doing was seemed kind of something I wanted to see if I could try and, I wouldn't say emulate, but like be inspired by that because he had great rhythm and his band was fantastic and then what I realized is I started listening to more fiddle players and one older guy called Sean McGuire was I thought inspirational because he was kind of crazy but technically brilliant and then but I also found inspiration and meet a neighbor across the street who was a fiddle player a man from Cavan his name was Tom Kearney and he played so different he didn't play very technically and he would hold the fiddle kind of down off his shoulder but he just played just simply. And I realized there's a, many different ways you can approach playing something like a traditional music. So it wasn't all about being technically brilliant. It was about just figuring out what you can bring and how you can interact with this music. And that's, I think, ultimately, he might have been my biggest inspiration because it kind of opened up the way I could look at the music and figure out how to enjoy it. And, you know, John, same question. Who are some of your musical inspirations? Well, early on, I, I, there was a fairly vibrant music scene in Malahide where I was growing up, and um, a lot of local musicians were people that kind of inspired me to start playing. Um, and then I ended up playing with them, but particularly like Brenny Mahan, he was a city player that I played with a bit, and Ozzy Weir, a great banjo player and, and banjo maker. Um, and then later, I through fishing, I'd be hanging out with a lot of musicians in in the bars over in Holtz and Scaries and these places where a lot of, there was a lot of music going on. But I actually got to meet Barney McKenna, who I mentioned earlier, in the Holt bars because he was, he he considered himself a bit of a fisherman as well as being a banjo player. But um, so he'd, he'd be in a lot of sessions I'd be going to. I wouldn't necessarily be playing though because I didn't feel that confident back then. But um yeah, Barney McKenna I would be a major influence of mine, and, um, and then some of the musicians, Ozzy Weir and Bernie Mann, some of the people that wouldn't be that well known, but they're the people that influenced me to play. And John, I'll throw this question to you first. So, you know, each of you are originally from Dublin. Tell me about your journey to the United States. Fishing was what brought me to Alaska. Um, I used to fish. I fished for seven years in 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 Ireland, in Skerries and Holt and Galway. And then uh, fishing was kind of, wasn't doing real well in Ireland. So a bunch of us decided to go to Alaska. But most of those guys went to Seattle because that's where a lot of boats were coming out of. But I had 
I had a relative up in Fairbanks, so I kind of came straight to Alaska, checked it out, and um, I was fishing in the Bering Sea for, I did that for about seven or eight years, as well as fishing at uh, Bristol Bay and herring fishing. So I was a full-time fisherman here for about 18 years, and then I did a lot of carpentry work when I wasn't doing that. That's what I'm still doing, a bit of that. Uh, I'm now living in Louisville, Kentucky, working maintenance down in Churchill Downs where the Kentucky Derby goes. So. And uh, Pat, same question, you know, tell me about your journey to the United States. Yeah, I uh, met my wife in Dublin. She was studying in Trinity College and she was from America. So we, we started dating. She came back and I followed her over. And that, that was basically, yeah, that's how I got here. And Andrew, same question, you know, tell me about your journey to the United States. Yeah, I had... In 1990, I had just graduated as an attorney in Ireland. I was a solicitor, is what they call it. So I was just young. The economy wasn't great. And at the same time, I got offered a green card. And they were basically being offered to people. And I thought, wow, that's a great chance to go to America and check it out. Intention, Intending to stay maybe a year or two, you know, use it as a kind of a career break before I started my main career. And then I went to St. Louis and... Uh, I just changed the back end of the plan. I never left. And I'll throw this question to you first, Andrew. Um, tell me about some of your, you know, early musical endeavors here in the in the U.S. I'm, I'm an attorney, and I became an attorney in St. Louis after a few years. So I immediately started working in the legal field. But one of the attractions to St. Louis is there were, in 1990 there is a bar which still is existence today. It's called John D. McGurk's, and it happened to be a bar that was its main musical focus was traditional Irish music, not other forms. So I knew that was there. So that became a place I could go to and uh, have get my musical fix. And it happened to be owned by two lawyers. So I ended up working for one of them in the day job. But it had great music coming through there. I got to play there a lot. So it, immediately I had this place where I could play my Irish music uh, and be surrounded by great musicians, but I wanted to have some music to play. So that was probably the best to have on my doorstep. But musically, as I stayed through the States, I really I haven't left St. Louis a lot to play. I really, more the music comes to me. We have a festival in St. Louis every year called the Channel. So um, I met Pat and John mainly for them coming to St. Louis to play. So most of my musical experience has been in St. Louis, but it's also been a very vibrant one, so I've been lucky. And, and Pat, same question to you. Uh, you Tell me about some of your early musical endeavors here in the United States. So I moved to, um, my wife lived in Chicago, so we moved directly to Chicago. And Chicago's uh, got a very deep history with Irish music uh, because of one man in particular. Uh, he was the chief of police in Chicago in the early 1900s, uh, Captain Francis O'Neill. And he was responsible for uh, collecting a lot of music from musicians who would come to the States from Ireland. And uh, so he would have started in the late 1800s and collected all the way through. And he published a couple of collections of, of music that have become the sort of, uh, I don't want to say Bible, but they've become a, a, the go-to source for um, the, uh, the core of Irish traditional music in America, I would say. But it's also very important publication in Ireland too. Um, so 
there was a lot of music in in Chicago. Is basically what I'm saying in a very long-winded way. Um, <laughs> so I met a lot. All the you, you go when you come to a new city, you, you usually come armed with a, at least one address for the session. And I had that. I went up and I met uh, some some musicians up there in Chicago, and I got into that circus. And then shortly after that, I started going to St. Louis with a couple of musicians, Paddy O'Brien and Martin Hayes. And uh, we started playing in McGurk's, the bar Andrew was talking about. And that's where I met Andrew. And then from there, um, it just sort of, there's a certain time in, 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 in those sort of things where you sort of snowball a little bit from just getting to know somebody, they'll know somebody that wants something and so on and so forth. So it's like a, a networking type thing. So I got involved in all sorts of projects after that. And most of the, the work I did then for the late 90s up to the 2000s were, was actually not in the States, it was in Europe. I got involved with a, a group called Secret Garden that Andrew's brother was involved with. And um, Mick, Mick O'Brien, great piper. And Mick was a, Mick couldn't do all the tours because of other commitments. And uh, he he gave me the chance to cover for him, which was extraordinarily generous of him. But uh, yeah, I, I got to tour the world with that group. And then after that, I um, started touring in Europe with a dance company with two other friends of mine that I play with, Kieran O'Hare and Liz Knowles, who again I met in Chicago. Um, yeah, and I've been doing that sort of thing on and off. Of course, COVID sort of put everything on hold for two or three years in, in, in our industry. So it's just starting to... Um, sort of open up again a little bit and we'll see where, where it leads us to. So, yeah, not only do you get to travel and tour, but you get to do a lot of recording and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I've, I've done quite a bit of recording and stuff like that. Uh, the other group I, I play with, the other trio, Open the Door for Three, we've done three albums and uh, we have a fourth one on the way out. And uh, and I have a website. I think we all have websites. Well, I, I have a website. People, if, they, if they're interested in this sort of music too, they can check it out. Patbroaders.com, you can check it out. So, and there's the there's the commercial there now. <laughs> and John, same question. Tell me about your early musical endeavors here in the in the U.S. So I came straight to Alaska from Ireland, and uh, the music scene here was pretty minimal. The Irish music scene was pretty minimal when I got here, and. Um, I met a few people and played with them, but I, I got involved in uh, bringing Irish musicians up here um, to try and improve the music scene. And, you know, I put on concerts and workshops for them. And I got to know a lot of people that way. And um, I had to set up a whole tour in the States because, or in the States, because it wasn't worth bringing people up for just one gig. So I would, you know, I'd have people coming up and they do it. 10 or 14 day trip around Alaska with different gigs and um, I was lucky enough that it, there was a, Irish music was kind of on the rise in, in America when I got here and so it, it was a lot of people would come out for these gigs and like I said I got to know a lot of these people and so I ended up doing little tours with different people and um, but it was you know music on like path music wasn't my main thing fishing was my main job and music was secondary and but I did a few tours with different people, um, Patrick Russo and Eamon O'Leary and Paddy O'Brien, Aidan Brandon, a few people. And um, and then I, I did McGurk too. It's also where I met Andrew. And I met Pat at a later date there too. Um, so McGurk's is kind of the central thing to all three of us, really, you know. 
and it's still going strong. It's still hiring mostly traditional Irish musicians there. Um, so that was a big part of the music for me. And, um, John, I'll, I'll throw this question to you, and you guys probably already touched on it, but how did each of you sort of meet? Well, we, like I said, McGurk's is kind of where we all met. I met An Andrew probably uh, late 90s in McGurk's. Um, and then uh, more recently, I've been, we've been going down for the festival he mentioned, um, and I stay at his house generally, but... Um, I saw on I saw three times at that festival, and Dot Banjo and uh, Pat I saw it a lot, and Andrew saw it as well. So uh, we're all kind of we've all been involved in that festival in some way or another, and that's kind of how the whole idea of this trio came together, you know. And John, in addition to being a banjo player, I read that you're also a historian of the instrument. Is is that correct? Yeah, I used to do lectures here and in other places. In fact, I've done lectures in St. Louis as well um, on the banjo and Irish music and traditional Irish music in general. Just kind of tell me about how the banjo, you know, made its way to traditional Irish music. There was a man by the name of Joe Walker Sweeney from Virginia uh, here in the States who um, put together a group called the Virginia Minstrels and they toured Europe in the 1840s which wasn't a great time to be touring in Ireland, but nonetheless, they, they did play in Ireland uh, in 1848 during the Irish Famine. But they, wouldn't have, they would have been played to gentry and stuff, you know. But uh, Joe Walker Sweeney was the son of uh, Mayo parents. They had emigrated to America. And he was the first man to bring a banjo to Ireland. So the banjo's been around for almost 200 years now in Ireland. But... Um, it was a five-string banjo back, back then that most people played, uh, and a completely different style of playing. It'd be more like claw hammer style um, than what's been played now. I play a tenor banjo and I, I flat pick tunes on it, so it's, um, it's and, and you know I play basically the same melodies that Andrew would play on the fiddle. And I guess similarly, you know, define traditional Irish music for me. <laughs> That's an awful big question. I'm going to leave that to Andrew to do. Uh, that, that's a that's a. I don't think that question can be answered sufficiently. Uh, it's a tradition, so I mean, it's a very uh, embedded thing in Irish culture. That'd be like trying to say, you know, tell me, uh, you know, explain the native traditions up here in in a short sentence. You know, it's 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 um, yeah, a very loaded question, really, and. So all I, all I think is we can really, for people who think they know everything, all I think is what we know is what have we learned through this tradition? How does music come to us? And how is it evolving in our lifetime? So clearly the music we play, traditional because it's come from a place and, different, and the sources that were primarily Irish, but it has clearly evolved over time. Part of it is, you know, I mean, 300 years ago, there were no banjos. There wasn't ill and pipes. A fiddle might not have been dominant. So in traditional Irish music today, you'll see people playing instruments that weren't around 200 years ago, concertinas, accordions and stuff. So we're playing something we've come down, so it's part of a process. Um, but because it's traditional and handed down and come up from a source we identify, it has very much strong roots and cores. So we're, we're playing this music at this point in time, and it's part of that evolution. Sounds like a very... That's the best one I've heard so far. Yeah. 
don't know if that makes sense. But being a part of a tradition like that is a, is a very secure place to be for us because we 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 know in ourselves what we're doing is is part of a bigger thing and we're trying to to keep it that going. It's very much a living tradition, Irish music, in that it's still being written, it's still being played, and it's still sort of evolving. So yeah, as Andrew said, 300 years ago versus today versus 50 years down the road, you know, so it's always going to change. On any given night, we could be playing tunes that were written two or 300 years ago or 10 years ago or even weeks ago because uh, there's tunes been still written in the, in a traditional manner. Or in the moment when you forget the part and you make it up. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and, you know, research tools are getting better now, so we people are looking back and finding out more about Not what right. existed before and sometimes you're that becomes a frame of reference. It's about all we can do with it. Yeah. And Andrew, from from what I understand, you have ties to you know one of the most iconic musical families in the world of Irish music today. I guess just kind of tell me about your family. It's true in one sense that we had five boys and we all played, so that became you, we became known as a musical family because we all played Irish music. So like, still at the source, like my dad because he played, he was. He never considered himself a great player, but he was in love with the music and he got us exposed and brought us everywhere. So in the process of playing, we also were a musical house where people could come through our house at any time to play music. So in that way, we got to meet anybody that was kind of involved in Irish music in Dublin or coming through Dublin. We got to meet them quite often, host them. So it kind of elevated our status as a musical family, like more people got to know us in that way. So... um. But I, I have to say, like, to me, I, I didn't mention earlier, like, my inspirations, like, uh, my three older brothers were, like, Pat mentioned my brother Mick on the pipes, um, and my oldest brother Dennis was a whistle player, and they were truly, they are, well, my brother, oldest brother Pat, they were technically, and are beautiful musicians, so they were, like, there's a high caliber of music that I got to hear every day from my brothers and stuff, so, but we, part of that, Iconic's a little too strong a word, but there are musical families like in Dublin. There was the Creans, the Glackens, and there, there's more. And you, at that stage when music was really taken off again in in Dublin and Irish music when around was just getting a bigger, kind of a higher recognition, that was about the same time we were getting involved. So I think we were somehow re- emblematic or representative of you know what a musical family would look like. So that got us a reputation. I think that's maybe overstated, but that's it. That's where we got it. And you touched on it a second ago, but I guess what was it like kind of growing up in a musically rich and active family? It was fun. <laughs> it was great. Because, you know, we were in the city, and one of the reasons is, you know, people were thinking this is just a country music, and actually, like, the inspirations to me, when you talk about this, the music, most of my music was in Dublin. I found it in the city, and that's where we accessed it. So it kind of was a way for city and country to come together. We were going down the country playing music, but at the same time, there was music in the city. So, yeah, and really our house was very musical. Like, there could be music being played in three in the morning. Um, like, we are attached to our next-door neighbor's house. And like, they had awful problems with their babysitters because the babysitter would be supposed to be babysitting, and they'd leave there and come to our house, and they'd come home, and there'd be no babysitter. <laughs> so... What it meant is it just, we saw it alive. When people come into your house and will play a fiddle and stay around and have dinner and maybe sleep over and that, you got you got the sense that this is more than just music. It co- You got to 
learn where they, they were getting their music from. They'd be telling stories of where they got this tune. So it just meant uh, that having music in the house wasn't just about having music in the house. It was part of the whole, everything that comes with it. And that's how we learned about it, I think, is where the music was coming from. It was a lot of fun. And similarly, Andrew, and you touched on it a little bit, but I guess tell me maybe a standout memory involving, you know, music growing up that you'd like to share. Oh, that's a – let me think on that one. Yeah, most of those memories, I don't like to repeat them on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, like I'll tell you, this is, this is a wild memory, but I, I didn't have a teacher. But um, my, my dad found a, tea, a Christian brother who was in our local school who played the fiddle. So my dad identified him as if I could just get him to come to the house, he could teach Andrew like the fiddle. And uh, he would come certain nights and, you know, all he wanted from the process is he wanted to get to know us. He didn't want to get paid. So the, um, my mother knew he liked his sup of whiskey, so that's how she would pay him. Except for she was not a... She was a pioneer, never drank. So he got paid very well because she would pour him whiskey like it was lemonade. <laughs> yeah. So the lessons would start off easy and end up very confused. <laughs> and Pat, from, from what I understand, uh, you were part of one of the longest-running Irish music gigs in the history of the city of Chicago. I guess tell me about that experience. Uh, I don't know whether it was in history, but, yeah, it was a long gig. Uh, not much to tell. It was just a, a gig that happened in Chicago every night of the week. <laughs> and I did it for like 25 years or something like that, or 27 years or something like that. Probably put an end to that. Yeah, it wasn't, I mean, musically it was not a great gig. Um, so I I never I never looked on it as a, a thing where it's um, pushing the music forward because it just wasn't. But uh, I used it as a sort of a, a place where I could try out new stuff myself that I'd learned and and stuff like that. So in that respect, it was very helpful. I got more out of uh, meeting. Uh, there were some older musicians lived in Chicago. Um, Kevin Henry being the one that I would identify most with, and he lived very close to where I lived. So uh, I spent. I won't say a lot of time with Kevin, but I spent some great times with Kevin. And you go down to Kevin's house, and uh, himself and his wife would be there, and, and they were retired. He was an iron worker in Chicago. Very interesting story. But he was also a, a, a flute player from the Roscommon Mayo area in, in Ireland, which is very famous for his flute players. And they have a very specific style that they played. And Kevin had this way of playing. So um, I used to go down and spend a lot of time with Kevin. And he was, a, he was big into the Ealing Pipes too. But, you know, he'd walk into the house, he'd be there making reeds at the dining room table, and a bottle of uh, uh, Merlot would come out and the plastic cups would arrive and, you know, and then the tea and the thing. But they they were places where I, I'm, I'm, I got more out of than actual playing gig you were asking about initially. So, yeah. And, you know, in addition to, to Kevin, tell me about a few other um, musicians that stand out to you that you've had the chance to work with. Yeah, uh, Liz Carroll. A uh, very well-known traditional viol- uh, fiddle player from Chicago. Um, Jimmy Keane, who I still play with, piano accordion player. And Jimmy Keane and Liz Carroll had the uh, honor, would it be the honor, I suppose, or whatever. But they were the first American musicians to win the All-Ireland competition, duet competition in Ireland. So the first people from, not from Ireland, to do it. So 
that was a huge deal. It was like uh, I don't know what you compare it to with nothing, but it was a, it was a huge deal. So yeah, so Liz lives in Chicago. Still, I still play with Liz. Uh, I still play with Jimmy. Um, and the older guys were, were were where it was for me. I was I was really more interested in what the older generation do because they were holding something together that they brought over with them, you know. And they they would have influenced Liz Carroll and Jimmy Keane. So you know they were the reason why all this sort of started in the first place. I mean these these people that came over in the forties and fifties to Chicago uh, with their music, they they made sure that they made a place where this music could flourish. And they taught the kids, they made the music available, they made themselves available to everybody. And you have to understand too, these people were working like, you know, iron workers, electricians, the construction. So they were working, they all had families, but yet they made the time where they could form these clubs around the city and be there like multiple times during the week after work. And like pass on this this great tradition that we're part of. So that's where it was for me in Chicago, and it's, it's sort of what I look for everywhere I go. If if that if that's a little bit lacking in a place, you you can tell if it's really flourishing in a town or something like that, you will know. I mean, it'll be be very obvious, and you you'll see the result of it too. And, and Pat, in addition to playing an instrument, I read that you're a singer. Is that correct? That is very correct. Yes, I do. I never taught myself as a singer. I I, I, um, I never really sang until I came to America, and then it was a matter of having to sing because nobody else was singing. So uh, I got in, I got into it then. I was always interested in songs. Don't get me wrong, but um, they were always a big part of. Uh, my father sang quite a lot, so, and my grandmother sang. So, and I'll throw this question to to Andrew. You know, tell me about some standout musicians that you had the the chance to work with. Oh, mainly. It chance to work with Al Kay, Pat's waving his hand here. I'd say Pat Rodgers and John Walsh. But to me, when I was growing up, I primarily did play with my oldest brother, Dennis, because he, he was in a wheelchair at the end. So essentially, wherever he went, someone had to go with him. So I got to play a lot with him, and he was a brilliant whistle player. Um, since I came to the States, one of the things about Gurks is they were bringing in really – Musicians I knew a lot about, like Joe Burke was the man booking music at John McGurk's, and he was passed away a few years ago, is really a legend in Irish music, kind of, but an accordion. So I got like to play with Joe, his wife, Anne Conway, great musician, a man who lived in town, Bernie MacDonald. But um, people come to town like Jackie Daly, Andy McGann, a great fiddle player from New York who's passed away. He was probably one of the best American-born fiddle players. So I got to play with them. Uh, they're just some of the names, but uh, like I've never done extended, uh, I haven't done recordings with like any particular musician. It's more, I've had these opportunities to meet or play with them over a few weeks and uh, play with people like that. And and same question to you, John. Um, tell me about a few standout musicians that you've had the chance to perform with. Well, I, you know, I, I honestly prefer playing in a session kind of, rather than the performance scene and I've I've done quite a few performances but the ones that stand out to me are generally sessions. I've got hadn't had chances to play with the likes of James Kelly and Mick O'Connor and, and some of the older players like Mike Rafferty and Mike McHale. I go up to the Catskills every summer to for a, an Irish what they call the Irish Arts Week. 
and I got to play with a lot of older musicians. A lot of them are dead now. Mike McHale's gone. Mike Rafferty's gone. Um, Andy McGann's gone. You know, these are all people I, I really got a great kick out of playing with because they're, you know, the fathers of the music, you know. If you're just tuning in to the Kenai Conversation, we're joined by John Walsh, Pat Broders, and Andrew O'Brien, members of the traditional Irish performing trio Miles from Dublin. You know, John, I'll throw this question to you first. Um, you know, you've been a musician for years, but tell me about some of your more recent musical endeavors. More recent? Um, well, I, 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 I moved to Louisville a couple of years ago, and I've been playing with some people there locally. And uh, uh, upcoming, I'm playing, I'm playing and teaching at the Baltimore Irish Festival in April. Um, because i got a full-time job, I don't tour as much as Pat does. Um, but I'll be in, in St. Louis the week after that too for the Chanel this year to help Andrew out with his barbecue because I'm not teaching there this year. Yeah, it's just, and then I'll be in the Catskills again this year. Um, but lo- I do play more locally because of my full-time job in St. Louis or in Louisville, I mean, um, with some people there. Pat, same question to you. Tell me about some of your more recent musical endeavors. Uh, okay. Um, I've just finished up with the trio, Open Door for Tree, Liz and Kim. We just finished up our fourth album. And that will be um, that'll be getting released in March. So uh, we're in the process of getting that mastered and, you know, produced in, in uh, the, uh, the relic form of CDs. <laughs> and uh, it'll be a digital download too and all that sort of stuff so that's the that's one of the big things the other projects I'm involved with I've started a, a project on my website called a song a month where I offer people the opportunity to download music that hasn't actually been released yet that I'm working on sort of thing and gives people an insight into sort of the process involved and you know I try and give a little bit more of a background to the the music and the songs that I'm I'm, I'm making available so that's a that's at my website, patbrothers.com. Uh, OpenTheRoffery.com will have stuff on it as far as the tour is concerned. Uh, I'm teaching down in St. Louis in April. And, you know, stuff comes in during the year. I play with Jimmy Keane. We're doing, uh, we just got asked to do a festival in Belfast, Maine again this year, which we've done quite a few times. So, yeah, just keeping busy. And Andrew, same question to you. Tell me about some of your more recent musical endeavors. Well, the by trade, like I'm an attorney, so when I did come to St. Louis and started my practicing law, I then started my own law firm. So that really became, you know, my focus. Music, kind of like John, when you have that full time job, it didn't it didn't even allow me to travel. So I was firmly rooted in St. Louis. So. Actually, when it comes to recent musical endeavors, this chance to come up and take a few weeks off and do this tour with Pat and John up in Alaska has been the most exciting musical thing I've done for a long time. Sorry. I know. Well, it, it, it is for me anyway. God bless them too. But I I do get to meet new musicians that move to town in St. Louis. I've been lucky to. My kids are now in their 20s have taken to music. So, um. And Irish music is part of their what they play. One of them plays classical and <laughs> Irish, but kind of I'm going along that journey a little bit as as I see where they're going. Um, I get to meet the people they're playing with, and they come to our house. So I'm kind of getting to 
be part of their musical life just from playing a little bit but observing what they're doing but really as i think i get a little older and hopefully going to make a little bit more time to enjoy more music for myself and maybe see if i can help some people to learn the tradition too like pat was talking about how you learn from people maybe it's time for me to give back a little more other than the barbecue and john you know you mentioned that you you moved to alaska to to pick up fishing full-time i guess was that your first taste of alaska yeah it was i fished in ireland for seven years and and I just flew straight here. The first time I was ever on a plane was flying to Alaska. Um, I traveled to Europe a little bit, but it was always by boat because um, it was so cheap. When, when, you know, growing up in Ireland, it was cheap to take ferries to England and France and wherever, you know, in Europe. And um, But, yeah, I, the first time I came here was to fish. Um, I'd, like I said, I fished in Ireland. But I, I fished totally. I fished 25 years between Ireland and Alaska. And then I was... I was doing a bit of carpentry and stuff, and that's how I kind of got into that. And uh, here I am in my retiring years working in Churchill Downs. And how long did you live in Alaska for? 29 years. I have three kids up here and four grandkids, and I try and come up and visit them too, and they come down and visit me. So uh, we, when we left Alaska, we left in an RV, and we lived in that for 10 years almost, um, driving around uh we were first flipping houses for a few years and then we we got a job doing um rv roofs so the reason we took the job was that they were gonna they said they had work in every state so we worked in all but two states except my partner but she in the last year or so she decided she was going to become a flight attendant which is what she's still doing so and i i gave up doing the rv roofs because i was tired of spending 12 hours a day on my knees and where in Alaska did you live? Uh, when I first came up, I lived in Anchorage briefly and then over in Bristol Bay and Dillingham area. And when I came back from there, I went. To, I lived out in the Matsu Valley for most of the time. In the last few years that I was living here, I lived in Anchorage again. I spent a brief time in Fairbanks at the beginning when I first came, but I wasn't there very long. I was only there for maybe four or five months. And I read that you were, you know, part of the, I guess, the forefront of the Irish music scene here in Alaska. Um, tell me about that experience. So when I got here, there wasn't really a very vibrant Irish music scene. So I thought I would try and uh, bring musicians in here. And I was down in Juneau at the Pope Festival one year, and they brought in um, Mick Maloney, Eugene O'Donnell, and Seamus Egan for the main act. And I became friends with Mick, and um, he was. I brought. I ended up bringing him up the following year up to to do a tour in Alaska with Jimmy Keane and Robbie O'Connell, who he toured with as well. And um, that was kind of the start of me. I used to put on tours once or twice a year, uh, bringing acts up. But it would have to be a tour. It wasn't worth a while coming up. So I had to set up tours around the states. And back then, I had a lot of contacts. That were into the music and they would put on gigs like Fairbanks, Talkeetna, Palmer, you know, Homer. Uh, there was different places to put the gigs on, but I just contact them all and trying to arrange, schedule it, just like I did for this tour, I scheduled the tour. And and then the latter years that I was here, um, I decided to run a festival. And uh, the first year I did the festival, all the musicians came up on just airfare 
an accommodation, no fees. They're all people I made friends with over the years, and they just try and help me out get the festival off the ground. Um, and we ran it over at West High School for a number of years. And then the last few years, we had it down to Fourth Avenue Theatre, which is now gone. They knocked it down um, last year, I guess. Um, so, yeah, and every time these people would, would come up, they do workshops, uh, whether it was on a tour or whether it was a festival. And that kind of increased people's awareness of the music. Um, I also brought up dance teachers as well. There was a lot of well-known dance teachers come up over the years. Um, the first year we had, between dancers and musicians, we had 34 musicians come into town. Um, and they did, they all did workshops and, but at that point there was some, there was some kind of a scene going by the time the festival was up and running, you know, there's some great musicians here in town, younger musicians, a lot of them have kind of moved out, but there was over the years some young players coming up that were pretty good. You mentioned some cities just a minute ago and areas, but I guess where would you say in Alaska is the Irish music scene most prevalent? Probably Anchorage is probably the, just because of the population size and because um, that's where the most workshops went on, you know, between the festival and the tours. Like an awful lot of the towns that would put on the music on those tours I set up wouldn't necessarily do workshops because they're just because of the time frame. But um, because Anchorage was a central point for doing the tours, it was easier to set up a workshop there. And, you know, when did you decide to, to leave Alaska and, and why? Well, my partner, Angel, she, uh, when we started going out, she said to me, uh, <laughs> if you're intending to stay in Alaska, then we shouldn't bother going out. And I said, well, I have to wait till my youngest daughter graduates. And then my youngest daughter decided she was getting married after she graduated. So we waited a little longer. And uh, that's when we left. And I really wanted to just see America. That was a big part of it. Um, and it was a great opportunity. We, like I said, we we bought an RV and we, we drove out of here in an RV and um, we upgraded that RV while we were on the road. We still have an RV parked down in Louisville outside the house. Um, but lately, we've only used it to go up to the Catskills. But that was the main reason was my my partner. And Pat, you know, when was the first time that you came to Alaska? Uh, I came here first actually with a, a tour of a Irish dance company that was, I was working with in Chicago. And we came up here, I'm inclined to say it was somewhere probably in the middle to late 90s. And we did a little tour. I, I think we did uh, Fairbanks, Anchorage, um, Kenai. Yeah, we, we, we reckon it was probably on, down around Kenai, so Dauntless somewhere. And then <clears throat> maybe Homer, but I can't be sure because I can't remember. And uh, I know we went into Juno for a show too. So uh, yeah. And then the, the next time I came up here was with John, and seemingly it's our tenth year we've been doing this. So happy anniversary to us! <laughs> and you know, what was that experience? You know, experiencing Alaska for the first time. What was that like? <clears throat> I don't know. Be better able to answer that because this is the first time he's been up here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, Alaska is an amazing, an amazing place with not very many people. And it's uh, it's hard to sort of get your head around. Even even after ten years, I've been coming up here. It's like we're seeing like a really small section of this state, and it's uh, just uh, sort of incredible. The people I find uh, 
for the most part are exceptionally warm and welcoming and uh, I, I enjoy coming up here. And Pat and John, you know, um, you guys have been coming to Alaska as part of your winter tour for a good while now. I guess what would you say is your favorite part about playing here in Alaska? Favorite part? Just being here in Alaska and getting to travel a little bit during the uh, the winter months because, you know, not many people get to see a place <laughs> when it's below zero and eight feet of snow. So it's it's uh, it's 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 sort of a, a privilege to be able to come up here and be able to do this. And to be honest with you, the weather is always sort of we've been very, very lucky with with the way the weather's gone. We've only had a couple of issues with, with weather and they haven't been that that major as such. We've survived as they say. Um so yeah, it's it's just been a, a very rare and uh, and lovely privilege to be able to do this. Outside of the fact that, you know, we get to visit a lot of great places, I I get to visit my family, my kids and my grandkids and a lot of old friends as well. So uh, some of whom we consider family, you know. So that's the nice part is getting to see people and, you know, visiting with people as well as playing the music, you know. And John and Pat, you know, your group has a rotating third person uh, each year when you tour. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Not to put him on the spot or anything, but I guess what made you guys decide to ch- uh, choose Andrew to tour with you guys this year? He was the one who paid us the most. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we always try and find somebody. Uh, John would be better to answer this question because, you know, John is the one who has to play with the other member. I, I'm 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 primarily vocals and I, I just, co- I'm not just a company, but I accompany. So my job in this trio is, is uh, pretty well defined, as with John he has to find somebody that he's comfortable to play with. And, of course, you know, we all have to be sort of at least able to talk to each other mm-hmm. at times. So John could take that. I, I guess part of it is the fact that uh, who's available, but uh, Andrew was definitely interested in coming up, and we've all played together, you know, uh, on and off over the years. And, and so that's the comfort <clears throat> level of playing with people. I mean, I have played with people over the years that I wouldn't like to play with again. I don't mean on this tour, but at, at, at different area, in different places that I've done gigs. And it, you just find that there's some people you just don't feel comfortable with or don't gel with. Um, but, you know, I've always felt that myself and Pat and Andrew have, have gelled well, well together. And um, it may be like sometimes that, like, like Brenda uh, filled in for Rose Flanagan a few years ago because last minute Rose had decided she couldn't make it for whatever reason I can't remember but wedding. yeah wedding or something so um but this year we were I was talking or last April I was talking to Andrew and asked and we he, he expressed interest in coming up so that's where that came from Andrew you know how has touring with this group been so far well I think the Alaska part it's everything is a case of first impressions for me like I've never been here and we've Got to do the road trip down to Homer last week, and I know Kenai is in the same peninsula, but just seeing Alaska being physically on that drive going through the mountains and in the bay and going over to, to Seldovia, that has been fantastic for me. So I'm still in that kind of awe phase. I'll take it the people are fantastic. We have a, a host family here in um, Anchorage, um, Lisa and Ed, and they're just fantastic. So I have very favorable first impressions on people. Alaskans, um, and then like I do know John and Pat, and one of the things, and you know, when they ask you to come play, is obviously I feel like we're from Dublin. There's a connection, our musical vernacular, or 
how we think about music and want to play together in you know we've been playing sessions with other people but i knew that we could as a trio pull together and we'd be you know we'll be coming from the same place and but there is a thing when you're going to travel with someone for two weeks do you you know what's your comfort level and you know i also know them as people they've stayed with me and like that was very attractive to like oh if i'm going to see alaska in a way that other people wouldn't see it to have a host like really john who lived here and put this together i'm like that that to me is the perfect way to make my first trip to alaska and you know in addition to seeing all these new sites and, and people do you feel like you've learned anything uh new from from touring with john and, and pat well no not yet i think uh Maybe after all, when I reflect on the tour, I might find out that I have become wiser from listening to John and Pat. But yeah, we'll see. That's a, that's a, that's something that's in process. I'll have to get back to you on that. And and John, I'll throw this question to you. You know, has touring in Alaska taught you anything? Um, I, I mean, it, it just has proved to me how Alaskans are such great people. You know, and even. You know, even if your views aren't always the same, they do treat everybody very well. You know, I've uh, I've always enjoyed. I've always felt that Alaskans and Irish people are very similar in that in their hospitality and stuff. You know. And you know, Pat, same question to you: Has touring in Alaska taught you anything? Um, that's. I mean, what exactly do you mean by that? Any any like new experiences you've had here, or you know, anything along those lines? Um. Not really, I would say, because touring is, is such a, a defined thing, really, and then it can be chaotic at times, too, but it's pretty much the same no matter where in the world you go. You're going to show up at a sound check, you're going to sound check, and you're going to play, and then you're going to go back either to a hotel or a host family or something like that. So in that respect, it's, it, you could be anywhere in the world. The difference is when you're actually going to the places, you'll see the scenery, you'll see <coughs> Maybe you stop out for lunch in a local restaurant or something like that, and that's where you get to see a little bit of of the uh, local sort of um, thing going on, where people actually doing their everyday thing. But in general, we're pretty. I speak for myself. It's 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 sort of like being in a bit of a bubble. Like you usually forget what day of the week it is. Uh, you usually forget what time it is, because it's all so focused on one particular thing. Get to the gig. Do the sound check, do the gig, and rinse and repeat, basically. So I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm dismissing it, but it's just like it's like living in a, a sort of a little bubble. You know what I mean? It's like um, uh, like I could say I've traveled a, quite a bit and I've seen a lot of the world, but I haven't actually seen that much, if you get my idea, because of just tour schedules and other things that that impact that. So, so I think I kind of yes, what I learned. Pat is to me much more. He's a professional musician, and he has to be touring as part of a professional musician. So you have to, you have to come at it in a different way. And I do learn. I've seen Pat when he even comes to St. Louis as a professional musician, how to be prepared. So if I do this, come on a tour like this, while I'm not a professional musician, I have learned from Pat. You know, you got to be ready to play a concert. We're a trio. We've got to pull it together. You have to sound check. So I have now on reflection, I've seen it before but when you travel with a professional musician you do see the skills and what it takes and one of them is to you're doing a job and when you're on tour quite often the job is prim, is prime 
and then what comes after the touring or what you learn to see is the secondary now to me that's since I kind of come at it from a different way I'm a professional I'm kind of maybe absorbing the two at the same level um, that's kind of what I've I've learned from you Pat uh, I'll throw this question to, to John first um, you know what do you like most about the Kenai Peninsula um, I enjoy being down there I mean so I, I have memories of great summers down there with, with my kids after Bristol Bay and um, going down there and just subsistence fishing and stuff um, but I, I always enjoy the people down there particularly Diane and Dan and Dave and all the people that put on the gig you know they're they're we're old friends I've been going down there for years playing at the, at the college long before I started this tour I was going down there and so I've known Diane for I would guess 25 or 30 years at this point and Dave and her husband Dan but Dave I've probably known about 20 years as well um, so I just enjoy being in their company we always we always try and go out with them after the gig and you know catch up um, so it's the people in, in Kenai I, I, I remember and like the most rather than the Kenai itself and Pat same question to you what do you like most about the Kenai Peninsula exactly the same thing as John said it's, it's all about the people isn't it I mean, you must you must get that too. I mean, do you do you travel for your job going around interviewing people and stuff? Yeah, I mean, I travel around the peninsula, and, and yeah, I would yeah. have to agree. Probably the 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 scenery and the people. Yeah, it's it's all about it's all about that experience you have on a one to one basis, you know. So I think that 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 really, you know, people talk about first impressions, and I think the first impression of the people you meet in an area will give you the. Uh, the impression of the area you're going to be in then. I guess, uh, what do each of you like most about playing and performing music? Uh, the fact that we all get to play together, that we don't, you know, we don't often get together uh, during the year. This is the one time where I can get together with John and, you know, he can get together with me and, you know, and then we, with Andrew, we know Andrew very well. Like, we've, we've been around Andrew quite a bit on, on uh, besides this, so... Having Andrew here is is great. I, I've really been looking forward to this, and uh, I think I think that would be I could speak for all of us by saying. Oh, I agree with you. totally. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're playing Friday night at the college in Kenai, so looking forward to seeing everybody. Yeah, everybody needs to come out and have a good time. It's uh, it's a great event. Yeah. It's uh, very yeah. community orientated. The people are lovely. We love meeting the people, and uh, we look forward to uh, the scene and then go for a nice quiet pint in the. Uh, bar above the Riverside Hotel. <laughs>